Hello and welcome to the program UFO Warning. Today's topic, E.T. Succubus. Now we're getting into some really high strangeness here. So if you have kids, you might want to cover their ears. Some of the stuff we talk about is a little bit adult-oriented and you might not want to let them hear it. Now the article I found is from ufocasebook.com. It comes from back in 1999, I believe. It's about a case that happened in 1988 to a man named Peter Curry, K-H-O-U-R-Y. And I think there's a YouTube documentary on this somewhere online from several years ago. But this is the article, and it's titled, 1988 DNA Sample from a Curry Abduction Case Raises Big Questions. It begins, Mystery Blonde Leaves Hair Behind, But... Who was she? An abduction case from Australia has resulted in what may be the world's first DNA case of abduction-related biological material. The intriguing results raise many questions about the physical nature of abduction and also illustrates the need for more intensive scientific research on this worldwide mystery. The full case report by leading Australian researcher Bill Chalker was published in the spring of 1999 edition of the International UFO Reporter, a quarterly journal of the Chicago-based J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies, CUFOS. The following summary is published with Chalker's permission and assistance, it says. Peter Curry, the subject of this case, was born in Lebanon in 1964 and moved to Australia in 1973. There, he met his future wife Vivian at school in 1981. Peter and Vivian were married in 1980 and now have two children. They live in Sydney. Peter works in the building trades and has owned his own business in cement rendering. Peter and Vivian had their first UFO experience in February 1988. A simple sighting of unusual moving lights. But in July of that year, Peter had a deeply disturbing, consciously remembered contact experience that he says changed his life. While lying on his bed, he felt something grab his ankles. He suddenly felt numb and paralyzed, but remained conscious. He then noticed three or four small hooded figures alongside the bed. He experienced telepathic communication with one or more of these built beings. He was told to relax and not be afraid, because, quote, it would be like the last time, unquote. He then saw that they were about to insert a long needle into the side of his head, whereupon he blacked out. Now, this is something that we see repeated over and over among abductees, where they'll have what seems to be an innocuous UFO experience, and then at a later time, uh, they have a full contact experience where they are forced to undergo these procedures that they generally uh, don't find enjoyable. Um, most of us would find this a criminal act. And this seems to be the case with Peter Corey. Now the article goes on. He jolted awake some time later, leaped out of bed, and ran into the living room where he found his father and brother apparently dozing. Both he and his brother felt that only ten minutes had passed since they had last been awake. But they soon realized that an hour or more had passed. The next morning, Peter and Vivian noticed that there was an obvious puncture mark on the side of his head, with a trace of dried blood. This is another thing we see. It's as if these aliens have just come in, they've somehow uh, 
put the father and brother under the influence of something. I don't know if they slipped him a Mickey or what, but they're just treated like collateral damage. Um, kind of like if you were going to go in and, and uh, tag a wild animal and a couple of other animals uh, presented a threat. Well, they just tranquilized all of them. This shows a total disrespect that these entities are showing toward humans. Doesn't doesn't strike me as as a as a relationship where one entity is treating another entity with respect and equality. This is a situation, if it's to be believed, where one entity is tre treating another entity as though they're a non-entity. They're treating them like they're an animal. They're just doing whatever they want to do with them. At this time, Peter had never heard of alien abduction. His memories were vivid and alarming, but he could but <clears throat> but he could find neither answers nor comfort from friends and acquaintances. Then some months later he and Vivian drove by a roadside billboard with an image of Whitley Strieber's book Communion, and they immediately got the book. Peter found numerous details in Strieber's account that matched his own experience. Peter's subsequent attempts to connect with the with local UFO groups and experiencers proved frustrating. Eventually, in 1993, he resolved to found a new group in Sydney, the UFO Experience Support Association, or UFO ESA, dedicated to helping people understand and cope with their unusual account encounters. He remains the coordinator of that group. I would describe this as a group that helps people recognize an account with their uh, their being physically assaulted and criminally violated. Now the article says in July of 1992, Peter had the experience that became the focus of this case study. This is July 1992. Because the experience had disturbing sexual aspects, Peter was very reticent to talk about it. He first mentioned it to Bill Chalker, one of Australia's leading researchers in 1996. He, so, he showed Chalker that he, what, that he had recovered an unusual strand of hair from the encounter. At the time, Chalker felt he could not do anything with the physical evidence, but over the next several years, he assembled a group of scientists and forensic investigators willing to work on UFO-related cases. With his Invisible College associates, this quote-unquote Invisible College, Chalker discussed the possibility of doing polymerase, the chain reaction PCR amplification and sequence of mitochondrial DNA that might be recovered from Peter Curry's hair sample. In early 1998, these researchers, now calling themselves the Anomaly Physical Evidence Group, agreed to do the DNA testing on the hair sample. Charker points out that alien beings are most often described by experiencers as having no visible hair. But one type, sometimes called Nordic, is described fairly often as having distinctly human-like features, including hair, often, though not always, blonde in color. A number of well-known abduction cases have involved human-looking beings with hair, including the 1975 abduction reported by Travis Walton in Arizona and the 1957 Brazilian abduction reported by Antonio Vilas Boas. Peter Curry's case has some similarity to that of Vila Boas, who said he was forced to have sex with an aggressive humanoid female aboard a landed UFO. Curry told Chalker that his encounter 
of July 23rd, 1992, began at 7.30 in the morning while he was in bed. He had recently been injured at work and was taking pain medication. Earlier that morning, he had driven his wife to work, then returned home and went back to bed for a short while. Suddenly, he bolted wide awake and sat up. There were two humanoid females sitting on the bed, both entirely naked. Now, this is definitely getting into the area where if you have kids in the room, uh, you probably want to cover their ears because things get a little even stranger and more to the point. It goes on, the article says, These two women looked human in nearly every way. They had well-proportioned adult bodies. One looked somewhat Asian, with straight, dark, shoulder-length hair and dark eyes. The other looked perhaps Scandinavian, with light-colored, maybe bluish eyes and long blonde hair that fell halfway down her back. Her hair was especially notable to Peter Curry. It says, quote, I had never seen a hairstyle like that. It was, cur- it was curled, something like Farrah Fawcett, but to an extreme. It just looked really exotic in a way, quote, unquote, he told Chalker. But Curry felt that these women were not exactly human. Their faces were somewhat odd, not unattractive, but too chiseled, with very high cheekbones and eyes that were two or three times larger than normal. Curry took special notice of the blonde. Her face was too long, he felt. I have never seen a human looking like that, he said. The blonde, who was sitting in a kneeling position on the bed, seemed to be in charge. Curry thought she was communicating telepathically with a dark-haired woman who was sitting with her legs partly folded under her. There was something stiff, almost blank, in the expressions of the women, Curry thought. Though stunned by the sudden appearance of the women, Curry had only a few moments to consider how they could possibly have arrived in his bedroom before the blonde reached out with both her hands and cupped the back of his head, drawing his face toward her chest. He resisted. She pulled harder. Folks, this is simply a sexual assault, no matter how you want to look at it. She kept pulling back. She was pretty strong, he told Chalker. She pulled me over my mouth. She pulled me over, and my mouth was basically on her nipple, and I bit. Curry said he doesn't know why he bit the woman, but even though he felt a small piece of her nipple come away in his teeth, he did not cry. Out. She did not cry out, but the expression on her face was like, quote, "This isn't the way." In a way, it was a shock or confusion. She looked at the Asian one and looked at me like, this isn't the way it's supposed to happen. You've done this wrong. Involuntarily, Corey swallowed the small fragment in his mouth and and it caught in his throat. He went into a coughing fit. Suddenly, the two women simply disappeared. Once he realized the women were gone, he tried to clear his throat by drinking water didn't work. Then he had an urge to go to the bathroom. He realized that his male part felt very painful. Standing in the bathroom, he pulled back the, and I'm not going to go into this, let's just say he found two blonde strands of hair wrapped around, and you can fill in the blank. 
He struggled to unravel the pieces of hair as the pain became an intense burning sensation. Finally, he managed to remove the two pieces of hair and immediately put them in a small, sealable plastic bag. Quote, the reason I did that was because I knew that there was no way, no way at all, that a hair that size and wrapped around the way it was should have been there. Thinking of these women, the thing in my throat, the hair, something bizarre had just happened. You could certainly say that. Curry resolved to keep the hair sample in case it should ever prove useful in shedding light on his experience. The thing in Curry's throat stayed there for three days. He coughed constantly. He tried clearing his throat with water, bread, anything he could think of, but nothing helped. On the third day, the feeling in his throat just went away. He did not want to tell his wife how his coughing fit had come about, but two weeks later he decided to tell her. Quote, I was shocked, he told Chalker. She accepted it better than I did. The piece of hair, carefully stored away since the encounter, became the subject of the first openly reported scientific DNA test on a possible abduction-related sample. The blonde hairs were, ex were extremely thin and almost clear in color. It was determined that the hair was not chemically treated, because if it had been, little or no mitochondrial DNA could have been recovered. However, Using the PCR polymerase chain reaction process, good quality DNA was recovered. For comparison, the samples were also taken of Peter Curry's hair and that of his wife's Vivian. DNA was successfully extracted from Peter's hair, but no usable DNA was recovered from Vivian's hair, possibly because of chemical treatment. In other words, she dyed her hair. All uh, After thorough testing of the hair samples, the scientist of the Anomaly Physical Evidence Group arrived at a startling conclusion. The thin blonde hair, which appeared to have come from a light-skinned Caucasian-type woman, could not have come from a normal human of that racial type. Instead, though human, the hair showed five distinctive DNA markers that are characteristic of a rare subgroup of the Chinese mongoloid racial type. A detailed survey of the literature on variations in mitochondrial DNA, comprising tens of thousands of samples, showed only four other people on record with all five of the distinctive markers in the blonde hair. All four were Chinese with black hair. Mitochondrial DNA is passed only from mother to child, and therefore offers a means of tracing ancient ancestry on the mother's side. The findings suggest that all four of the Chinese subjects share a common female ancestor with the blonde woman, but there is no easy explanation for how this could be. Testing for the nuclear DNA, if such could be recovered from the blonde hair, would be more complex and expensive than the test run so far, but might show that the lineage of the blonde's father was even stranger than that of their mother. But such testing must await funding that has yet to be found. So far, the members of the Anomaly Physical Evidence Group have financed all the work themselves. Without the blood, blood, without the blood hair sample, the story told by Peter Curry is but one more in an almost endless sequence of wrenching but unprovable abduction accounts 
The hair, however, changes everything. It undeniably exists, and through forensic testing shows that it is anomalous. It seems likely that no person with blood, with blonde hair and an exact DNA match to the curious blonde could be found in the city of Sydney, nor the continent of Australia, nor probably anywhere in the world. So who then was this being whose blonde hair inexplicably became wrapped around Peter Curry's you know, anatomy? Are we dealing with humans from somewhere else? Namely those with human DNA, albeit very rare and somewhat anomalous, asked Bill Chalker. This case raises all sorts of issues with issues such as a human panspermia, the theory that human-like beings may have migrated to Earth in the fairly recent past from elsewhere in the galaxy, perhaps giving rise to the sudden appearance of modern Homo sapiens, a, sp a species not directly descended from their immediate predecessors, the Neanderthals. Also, given the Asian-Mongoloid connection, we looked at the problems of European-like rare Asian types in the past, Trucker says. The controversial saga of the Teclamicla mummies in remote western China is turning the early history of China on its head. These mummies include people who are quite tall, some six feet or so, some are blonde. I'm not suggesting connection there, but you can understand this investigation has opened up all sorts of interesting possibilities about the biological nature of some of the beings implicated in abduction questions. Well, you can certainly say that again. Like I said, if you'd like to find out more in this case, uh, I would go to ufocasebook.com and read it. But it is a somewhat well-known case uh, of this E.T. succubus phenomenon where it almost seems as if they're trying to harvest DNA from men. We've also heard of it happening to women. That's something for another for another podcast. Uh, I would like to throw a shout out and a thank you to the people that have been in contact, whether through voicemail on Anchor or Twitter or whatever. I think I got a voicemail from Lockdown Universe and a couple of other folks on Twitter with uh, just encouragement and comments and suggestions. I appreciate all that. As I always say, every listener counts. Uh, good to hear that you're listening. And uh, if you want to sponsor the program, you can stop by Anchor and do that. But until next time, this is UFO Warning saying over and out.